0: Welcome back, EmigCast listeners. Today on our podcast, I want to talk philosophy, and I'm going to start it out with a thought experiment. Imagine you're an ED doc talking to a new patient, and you've just been ransacking your brain trying to figure out the problem. You've gone through all the diseases and syndromes you've spent years training for, all the organ systems you've learned, all the treatments and therapies you've painstakingly organized into your brain, and you're coming up dry. You realize there's nothing emergently wrong with your patient and you're now entering uncertain territory. You've trained diligently to become a medical expert and you now find yourself confronted with a non-medical problem. What are you gonna do for this person? How are you gonna handle it when you reach the point in the interview when it seems that there's little you can do for the person that's sitting in front of you asking for help? Is that gonna bother you? Are you gonna be frustrated that they've popped up in the ED asking for services that would seem to be better provided by homeless shelters or primary care or a detox program? Can you tolerate it? Can you cope? Now imagine you have to deal with that on most of the shifts of your future career in medicine. How do you think your outlook or perspective might change over the course of five or ten years? I may be misinterpreting here, but I believe these situations are some of the ones that people are privately thinking about when they ask, Emergency medicine? Aren't you worried about burning out? Based on my previous career in the army, I think burnout is multifactorial and unique like a fingerprint, but I think the problem in our thought experiment is ubiquitous in, and particular to, emergency medicine. And whether these situations cause burnout or not, I do think that they can be difficult and exhausting for even the most seasoned caregivers. So today I'm going to examine with you our reactions to these tough situations, give you some tools to manage frustrations and maintain a resilient, healing attitude, and hopefully shape your outlook a little on a prospective career in emergency medicine. So I'm guessing most of you have been there before, either in the ED or almost any other medical setting, when someone says something along the lines of, I'm not even sure why this person is here. I worked in an emergency room before med school, and I've seen patients in maybe half a dozen EDs since then, and I've heard this sentiment personally in each one without exception. This care provider of any level is expressing so many things in this short statement. They're saying they're frustrated that this patient is here, that they're feeling hopeless for the patient's situation. They're saying this is primarily a social problem, not a medical one. They're saying they want to do something, but they're helpless. To examine this situation a little further, I'd like to identify a disconnect I've noticed between what people seem to think a career in emergency department means and what might be closer to reality. You know, like the TV version of ER versus the reality of your local ED. And I think this disconnect is important because it affects both the outlook of the providers in the department, which in turn affects the attitudes of the entire staff, it also affects the expectations of students training for the career. When I talk to people who don't work in EM, they seem to think ED docs spend their days running around with their hair on fire, sprinting from one intense crisis to the next, constantly trying to stay ahead of the frantic rush of desperate humanity surging through the door. And closer to my level, I find that many med students have a bit of a starry-eyed outlook on it, thinking that they're training to be elite resuscitationists who spend the majority of their time heroically saving people from the brink of death, never even bothering to set down their laryngoscopes between patients. But while emergency physicians are indeed elite, and sometimes do find themselves in the midst of a crisis, the reality is that the majority of the work in the ED is something different. According to the National Hospital Ambulatory Medical Care Survey, less than half of emergency department visits in 2004 were classified as either emergent or urgent. That's 12.9% emergent and 37.8% urgent. And while being prepared for such crises is why we train so hard, For now, I'd like to just focus on the actual pattern of day-to-day work. People come to the ED for wildly variable reasons, only about 13% of which are bona fide medical emergencies. And while frustrating to some, this all-comers-always philosophy is one of the most fundamental aspects of the emergency room, You can't even call your facility an emergency room unless you practice this policy. And what this means for ED caregivers is that you are there to manage what your patient defines as an emergency. Everyone's gonna have a different take on what an emergency means to them. So it's important to keep in mind that this is their emergency, something so frightening or difficult to cope with that they're simply overwhelmed and come to you for help. Fundamentally, this is the job that we're signing up for. When you think about it in this light, An emergency physician almost assumes the role of primary care physician for odd problems or those with limited access to medical care, while having a second role of resuscitationist kind of on the side. I think it's very important to come to peace with this reality before embarking on a career in emergency medicine. The risk of resisting this reality is that you travel down a path of resentment, resenting your patients for not knowing better, resenting the medical system for allowing it to happen, resenting society for not providing better services, that kind of resentment seems like it might contribute to burnout for some people. And this is not to say that any of these systems is perfect by any means. They all have room to improve. But simply to acknowledge the reality of the career that we're all standing up for. So now that we've got a realistic expectation of what the emergency room is about, The next question is, what can we do in these difficult situations? To answer this question, there are two perspectives that I want to share with you that I think are useful tools to address this particular problem, as well as to create a positive outlook for a long and satisfying career as an emergency doc. The first is from Dr. Chris Richards of the St. Charles ED in Bend, Oregon. He describes a fresh perspective on what medical therapy can mean in the setting of the ED. It's very short and very sweet.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a little bit of a problem with almost everything that we do. Um, I can't fix back pain in the ED. I can't fix depression in the ED. Some could argue that I can't fix your urinary tract infection in the ED. It's just going to come back again. So, But you can, you can make things, make steps to make people feel better. Um, A lot of times in our healthcare system, it's very frustrating and complicated to get uh, appropriate referrals and access, and we um, help provide appropriate referrals and access. Um, We tell people where to turn. Here's a list of names. Um, You know, these are the people that we think are appropriate for you to see. Um, That's a whole lot better than calling down the the phone book. Um, Sometimes just that environment where you're safe, you know, just for a few hours helps people. Right. so there are things that can't happen here in the department. Absolutely, you know, if you listen to people, they, you know, um, how do I say this nicely? Oh, uh, he's just here for three hots and a cot, you know. Yeah, well, three hots and a cot might be all he needs, um, and he might not get three hots, he might get one cold and a cot for three hours, um, but that might be what the guy needs. You know, I have, I have a lot of coping strategies, you know, I got the and wife, and kids. I even have an extra car. I got a roof over my head. I got air conditioning in the summer and I got heating in the winter. Um, and I have more than one coat and more than one pair of boots. Um, and the dog loves me. <laughs> so, all of those things are great coping strategies that not everyone has. Some of them don't have any of those things. Um, some of them don't have some of those things. And so, um, we can help people who don't have the same kind of coping strategies
0: that you do. So, Dr. Richards is saying we should broaden our definition of what we think of as therapy. Therapy is really just a fancy word for help, and that encompasses an entire spectrum of things that must be specifically tailored to the individual. This is a powerful concept because it allows us to stop looking at patients as manipulators of the system and instead enter a state of mind where we are truly empathetic caregivers. Instead of resenting the freezing homeless patient, we can feel satisfied that their needs were simple and we were able to provide for them. The next perspective is from Dr. Magnus Lukovics, also of the St. Charles Health System in Bend, but he's actually a psychiatrist who manages the psychiatric emergency services unit, which is attached to the emergency department there. Dr. Lakovics has a very seasoned perspective on what it means specifically to have a therapeutic relationship with your patient and how this relationship itself is a powerful therapy which can be conscientiously employed in every single patient encounter. This perspective answers for us the question of, what can I do for this patient, when you find that your patient has needs that cannot be provided for in the emergency department. I think we got to talking about this when we were talking about what, what are the
2: factors in the uh... That for patients in the healing influence. Uh, and Jerome Frank wrote this article primarily about psychotherapy, but I think it's applicable to any
0: doctor-patient relationship because of what the objective is. Dr. Lukovics is referring to Jerome Frank's article in the 1971 American Journal of Psychotherapy entitled Therapeutic Factors in Psychotherapy. And the objective is a healing influence,
2: in other words, a desire to have the patient improve clinically no matter whether you're using medication or anything else, but the relationship with the physician is really important. For example, compliance in medicine is very poor, in general medicine. Uh, 30 to anywhere estimates, are 30 to 50% of patients, basically don't even take medication. And the principal reason for that is that that relationship has not been established with the physician, where, where the patient feels comfortable and feeling like the physician had that healing influence on the patient. So, these nonspecific factors I find very crucial in clinical care because they really determine whether a patient, a doctor patient relationship is formed that's effective and, and gets uh, a goal directed response, meaning getting the patient better mm-hmm. <laughs> or having the healing influence. And the factors are number one, a confiding relationship or an, a relationship where there's a feeling of trust between the doctor and the patient. And so again, part of that open-ended listening style starts to form that confiding relationship. I can talk to you because you're listening to me. You're hearing my complaints. A second important aspect of the healing influence is really arousal of hope. Patients often come in distressed, just overwhelmed uh, for whatever reason, and they want to know that you're going to help them. And so part of that problem process is arousing their hope that there is care, there is help that will actually help them. Negative statements aren't really that helpful in that situation. They don't necessarily arouse hope. Uh, a th- third thing is is the patient really wants to know um, what the reasons are for the problem. <laughs> in other words, an ideological rationale, whether it's uh, a psychiatric problem or even a medical problem. They want a, a, an explanation. Now you may say, well, many patients really can't even repeat that after they leave the emergency room or leave your office or whatever. And that's partially true. But what they want to know, too, is that you know what's going on. (laughs) So that explanation to them (laughs) is reassuring because you've explained what you think is the cause of their distress or illness or condition. Now, that doesn't have to be 100% accurate, but it it has to be at least an explanation of what you think is going on. So an etiological rationale is very important. The third thing is, in the course of, of treating the patient, is providing alternatives for the patient. In other words, having patients often feel closed in, trapped, they don't seem to be able to manage their lives, or they manage their condition, whether it's diabetes or some other problem, and providing them with alternatives, <coughs> having a discussion of alternatives. There are many roads to Rome, and, and in medicine there are many ways to, to work with patients in every illness area in many ways and many alternatives to care. When the patient sees alternatives, they may see an alternative that they're willing to pursue versus one they're not willing to pursue. Uh, then the other thing that's really important is emotional arousal because um, often patients are so distressed and if they're given the opportunity to express their feeling states, that often helps them feel better immediately. because illness is a very stressful situation whether it's psychiatric illness or any other illness and patients are pressured feeling overwhelmed and the uh, uh, ability to let the patient express themselves and express their feeling states is really important and acknowledging their feeling states is really important because that takes the pressure off so to speak and that's again part of that healing influence which is really important and finally um, you want this thing to go successfully <laughs> at the end of this patient interaction, whatever it is, whether it's a complete history and physical, whether it's a discussion of treatment alternatives, whether it's a discussion about a difficult procedure, it's a discussion about um, uh, somebody who's trapped in, because of their depression or other problems, regardless of what the condition is, they have to feel like they have an opportunity to succeed at whatever's going to happen so that they can do it. And that's, again, an important situation to discuss with the patient. Here's the way to manage this successfully, to have an experience that you feel will result in a good outcome for yourself so that that patient feels that you're encouraging that successful experience in the healing influence. And that will be a tremendous healing influence on the patient because they feel, wow, now I can really get better. That's really important. Now I know the road to get better. I know how to get have success in whatever I'm doing with
0: my medical problems. Yeah, I just that, all that stuff sounds powerful and general to all, all aspects of medicine, not just psychiatry. Yeah. When
2: Jerome Frank wrote this paper, he actually wrote it about the, the, uh, psycho, the different psychotherapies and what was common to all of the different therapeutic approaches. But I think it's much more applicable to general areas of medicine uh, in the same way that it is in psychiatry. There's not any huge difference there. Mm -hmm. You want the same outcomes, uh, same results. You want good outcomes and I think that's really important. And It can apply to the ER, it can apply to a surgeon, it can apply to any physician in my opinion.
0: Guys, to me this is what being a doctor is all about. Listening to people, gaining their trust, understanding their problems, giving them reassurance and hope, and explaining the best way forward? What Dr. Lakovics described goes way beyond psychiatry. It applies to every patient caregiver relationship, no matter what the setting. Dr. Lakovics listed for us the six things that we can do for all comers, always. Whether or not there is a medicine to be given or a procedure to be done, we can do all these things for every patient, every time, and become the kinds of caregivers our patients deserve. That's it for this episode of e Cast. I hope you'll all take a few moments to digest these few points and find ways to incorporate them into your practice as you continue to develop your skills for the emergency department. Special thanks this month to Drs. Chris Richards and Magnus Lakovics for their contributions. Music for this episode was provided by bensound.com. Be sure to check out our show notes, and please, please send us your feedback at emigcast.com so we can keep the conversation going. I'm Trent Burgess. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.